All right, kids will be dismissed for Sunday school right now. Man alive, what a, what a selection of music. That's what the message is about, Joe. What's going on? That's awesome. Because God is good. Because God is good. I'm glad that the only righteous and spiritual people showed up this morning. Kidding. I woke up at, I don't know, it was about 2.30 in the morning, I guess, and, and here I was uh, thinking, I was so consumed with, man, I got bed so late last night, and I was thinking, ah, oh, I don't want to sleep through the alarm. And somehow I had this, this crazy vision as I was sleeping that I slept through the alarm, and you folks were here, and you're waiting for Gordy, and I'm thinking, and, and you're thinking, where is Gordy? Where is Gordy? And I got this, you know how you feel. I was just nervous, and I'm thinking in my dreams, oh no, I, passed, I, I slept past the alarm clock. And then I woke up, and it was 2.30. God is good. Let me give you a quote here. Because we're going to go through Ephesians in the next um, couple of weeks, this week, next week. And uh, it really my goal is to have maybe three messages, four messages at tops to cover chapters one and two in Ephesians. Because I think it's so dynamite, it's so powerful, it's so real. And I'm going to probably cross some religious thinking. It's, that's not the reason I do it, but I'm just trying to look honestly within the scriptures. But here's the main idea of this morning, and we're just going to go Ephesians 1, chapter, or verses 3 to 10. The main idea is this, is that God does not love you because you are good. God loves you because God is good. Isn't that beautiful? If we can just capture some of that. And, and with this quote here, it will take a lifetime for you to internalize this truth. And it will take a lifetime. I was reading a story here recently, and it's a story about a girl, a young girl named Stephanie. And I'm just going to give a short version of it, and you'll get the point. But she grew up under and harass, under the harassment of an of a abusive father. I don't know how to say it. He was just a person who was uh, extremely critical, judgmental, a person that never affirmed Stephanie, his young daughter. And Stephanie was a typical girl that just loved her dad. Her dad basically hung the moon in her eyes. But over the years, she felt that she could never get it right. She tried and tried, but to no avail. And it doesn't matter if it was from her hairstyle or her clothing, her grades in school, or her uh, taste of friends. She never measured up any of this. 
She, she was basically never enough in her mind. Her dad was cold. Her dad was detached, emotionally absent. And day by day, as she began to live under this judgment from her dad, it was slowly etching into her mind that she was unacceptable. Stephanie worked hard in school. She thought if she could get straight A's, then she could have that approval from her father. And so she worked really hard, and the time came when the mailman would come and deliver the mail, and in that mail would be the report card, and she was anxiously looking out her window, waiting for the postman to come and deliver the mail. And so he drives up and delivers the mail, and she runs out the door, and she grabs the mail, and she sees that this is the envelope that has her grades in it, and she tears open the envelope, and inside were her grades, and they were all straight A's. She began to well up a little bit in her eyes with tears. She was so happy. She said, maybe this will get a little response from my father. So she runs into the house, and she knows the rule of the house. Never disturb dad, period. Never disturb daddy, period. But she was so full of enthusiasm, so filled with, with excitement that she says, Daddy, Daddy, I got straight A's. Daddy, Daddy, I got straight A's. Dad was sitting in his chair, sipping his coffee, reading a newspaper, and there was no response. And she said again, Daddy, Daddy, I got straight A's. Still no response. And she stared at the, at the newspaper that was between her and the dad, and she was hoping that he would lower the newspaper just a little bit so that there would be some kind of a response, an eye contact or a smile. But there was nothing. Silence. And so holding back her tears, she turned to face, to, to go into her room. And as she was walking to her room, Daddy said something. You should have. And it's from those three words that she began to believe she could never measure up. It was only etched in her mind, but now it was embedded, and she now believed a lie. She was not good enough. She could never measure up. In fact, it is, I am not good enough just to be me. It's not okay to be me. I can go on with the story, but as you can just guess now, she goes through life pretending to be somebody she is not because she believed she was never okay. 
Some of you know that story. Some of you grew up maybe like that, and you're battling with it. It's, it's a very critical thing, but it's not true. And I think as I go into this letter of Ephesians, I, I think Paul is talking about people like Stephanie, people like you and me. There's something within the human race that tells us you're not enough. You're not good enough. And the sad thing about it, there's a lot of religious systems that will teach you that as a little person growing up in Sunday school. I will never measure up. I will never be good enough. And praise God, the people in the church will tell you. I don't mean to be brutal, but we want to set it free. And that's why I'm going into the scriptures to show you maybe other ways to think about things. To examine some of the things. You see, God does not love you because you are good. God loves you because God is good. And it will take you a lifetime to internalize that and to to really believe it. So with that, let's go into um, Ephesians Chapter 1 and verse 3. We're just going to read 3 to 6 and then we'll go into 7 to 10. But I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice that this is everything that Jesus has done. That right there doesn't fit with a lot of people. But this is everything that Jesus has done. And what I'm going to do when it says the word us, you can put your name in there. Okay? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed your name, me. Who has blessed Gordy in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose me. He chose Darren. In him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love. He predestined Sam for adoption to sonship or Jinda for adoption of daughtership through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Is that verse 6? Okay. You have no idea where I'm at. Verse 6 says, yeah, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given your name and the one that he loves. There you go. Something strange is going on here. (laughs) Some of us have Bible studies and really it is, there's nothing wrong with it, but there's an, we intellectualize the scriptures. You can't do that with this. For 2,000 years, I think, I I don't think, I know. We've been trying to grab a hold of what I just read because it is so rich and it is so deep. It takes, I think, this revelation of the Holy Spirit to really begin to see some of this stuff because it is so rich and it is so deep. These are things that, that in Christ has already taken place before the creation of the world, see? And some... You know, you're not going to always feel it. 
but he's deposited this grace deep inside the inner core of your being. And there are times when we get great thoughts. Sometimes we get uh, inspirational thoughts, and sometimes we get ugly thoughts. And sometimes, sometimes we just feel absolutely funky. Some of you who have been here know that word funky. It's what I use for just a bad day where you don't feel anything. But regardless, good or bad thoughts, regardless if you're in a funk that day, you've already received this. Because he's given this to you before you were even born. Now, where is this blessing? When it talks about, about in verse 3 there, where is this blessing? It says it's, it's in the heavenly realms. Where is that? Is, is the blessing up there way beyond into the highest skies? Where is this blessing? It's within you. Jesus called this blessing the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. We could also call this the river of living water flowing out from you. Doesn't mean that you see it. Doesn't mean you're exercising it, but it's been placed already in you. There's another way we could call it. You could go wherever you want to go. God gives you the freedom to do that, but you could call that the sacred garden that is within me. And I love that word, the sacred garden. Oftentimes, I use my imagination that that is my safe place. Now, don't go be going out that, Jesus, that, that Gordy's all of a sudden saying, we've got trees living inside of us, we've got flowers living inside of us. It's an imagination, okay? Because Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you, and the best way for me that it resonates inside my heart is to see that I got this sacred garden inside of my, my soul, way deep inside. It's the place that's filled with water, uh, streams, uh, waterfalls, flowers, gazillions of flowers. And little tiny chickadees. Beep, 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 beep. You know, singing their songs and robins and all the beautiful birds of the world. And, and they're all there. And then Jesus and I, in a safe place where nobody can listen to us, we chat and we talk and converse. And I can do that because of what he's already placed inside of me. You see, he's given you already a ticket to participate with him. The ticket's already there. But we don't see it because we put conditions on people. And so when we start putting conditions upon people, we are never quite sure if we're acceptable to God. One of the things that, that we think about is, well, Gord, everything that you read so far, in fact, all 10 verses, you're going to see this. I didn't do anything. Bingo. That's the point. That's hard to accept. Folks, that is really hard to accept. I didn't do any of this. Read it for yourself. Read it in any translation. It's all what Jesus has done. And he did it before you even breathed. You, he did this before you even knew you existed or your mom existed. Before the creation of the world. This is mind-boggling. See? And that's the point that the Spirit of God wants to reveal to you and I. 
And man, it just doesn't hardly make any sense because he says, I chose you before the creation of the world. Before the fall of Adam and Eve. Before that even took place. Well, what was that all about? Well, when Adam and Eve fell, just to summarize everything, is that when they fell, the human race fell. Where? In their mind. They fell in understanding who their true identity is. They failed to, to believe in the fact of where they came from, the source of their existence. They were blinded from that. That's what the fall has done. And so we are deceived into believing a lie about ourselves and about the goodness of God. We really have a hard time. When I say we, I'm talking about me. Have a hard time believing the great goodness of God. We can't go there. And that comes because of this. And so we are, we are in our deception through history. Certain people came along and began to create their idea and belief systems about who God is. And when they were looking at the scriptures, they said, this can't happen. God is too good here. And so they created, using scripture, that there's an angry God and that there's a God that punishes people. And so we developed that theology and that has entered into the Western culture. And so when I go to seminary, this is what I learn. This is what I'm conditioned. This is what I'm supposed to teach. Is the punishment and the anger and the wrath of God. And we don't know any different. Pastors don't know any different. And it's really hard to keep your mind open because we've lived in that deception. God still loves them. They're still saved. All of that stuff. But what I'm saying, what's really going to set you free? Is seeing the goodness of God. That is way beyond what you could ever imagine. And all of this happened before anything happened in creation. This is the crazy thing. And I am going to get slapped around when I say this one. And I apologize, and nothing is mean about it. But I don't have time to elaborate a lot. Through the weeks, I will. This, <clears throat> to say you're accepted by God only after you accept Jesus, is, the, is a mixed message from what Paul is writing here. Because, see, you were accepted before you were born. That's what the scriptures are saying. You were accepted before creation was created. What does this mean? I want you to struggle with that and think about it. Isn't that crazy? Because you see, Jesus in, in, in John 1, it says that, or John is talking about Jesus. He says, and he is the light of the, just those who go to Creekside. He says, Jesus is the light of the world. And then what does it say? And the darkness could not comprehend it. Jesus, the light of the world, has come within you as humanity, but that doesn't mean that we get it, that we see it. We've been deceived. We've been blinded. And Paul talks about that in Corinthians. 
See, we got a ways to be taught. We, get, we got to open it, and it will free you like you've never been free. It'll be like you're all born again. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see the light because it frees you. And it frees you not into a religious system, but into a relationship. This, goes, this is nuts, isn't it? And, and that's why he says you're blameless. I, I mean, in, 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 in verse 4, I believe it is, he says you're blameless. You've been forgiven. God is not the blamer. Now, we do have a blamer. It's called the devil, Satan, the accuser, the influencer. And this is the last thing he wants you to know. Call him the accuser. He wants you to understand and to know inside of your heart because once you understand this, nothing can overcome you because you have that security. You've been loved before you were even created. I mean, this, this gets nuts. And, and see what the influencer does. He is able and has the ability to influence your thinking about your identity, and you will think it's your own thinking. Stephanie said that she was, could never measure up. She said, as a young girl, I could never be enough. And where did that come from? It come from the outside. And she heard it enough to where it began to etch into her mind. And then there was that one instance, well, you should have, and that began to break her into believing that I am never enough and will never measure up and I am not okay to be me. Is that true? You know it's not. She was known before the creation of the world. She was deposited lavishly by God's grace into the very inner soul of her being. But she is listening to that influence. And where did the father come from? The father was treated the same way that he's treating Stephanie. And so he's been living all his life since he was a little boy having an absent father, a critical father, harassing, abusive father verbally. And so he also felt he was not good enough. He was just not going to make it. It was not okay to be him. And so he developed that and then he became just passive and quiet and hopeless and struggling inside. And so he passes that on. But he was not living in the truth. Nobody's ever told him that. And then he goes to church or he goes to a Bible class or whatever and they put all these conditions on him. Well, that just proves that I'm not enough because I can't do what they're saying. Do you see what I'm saying? I can't do. I can't do what Gordy's saying. I can't do what the Bible's saying. Well, maybe you're misreading it. I don't know. This is going to be a fun little series. Over 500 years ago, there was a guy who, who developed a belief system, and uh, he took this verse, uh, these verses in, in chapter 1, and he said that, that, um, he said that this, this is a proof that God chose some, and he didn't choose others. Hmm. God chose you, but not you. You but not you. I can't point at you, Gina, but Sam. <laughs> you, see, you see how that theology? And so what has happened over 500 years ago when this belief system was developed, it became dominant within the Western culture. 
And many of you have grown up under that. There's some dangers in religious systems. Huge dangers. And whatever a person or a pastor decides to believe, it's, it's that, hey, we're all just human. We're learning. And I definitely don't know a lot of things. I, I really don't. But I'm a, I, I like to explore. I'm an, I'm an explorer. But in that religious dominance, that, that religious system, that belief system, that is not what Paul is saying. This is not what blew Paul's mind. What blew his mind was he was so, so divisive. A genius, an intellect, a Pharisee. Everybody was wrong. Then all of a sudden he got met by Jesus and his grace and it blew his mind. And that's what got him so excited. Why did God do this? Why did God plan it this way before creation? Because this was his will. That's what five and six talk about. This was the desire of God. This was his will to do this. It was his dream. And so he pre-wired you to be in Christ and he pre-wired you to be a son and a daughter. We got to struggle with it. It doesn't matter if we all agree, but these verses, that's why it's taken 2,000 years for us and we can't embrace it because I think it comes from the revelation. I think it comes from just taking the risk and saying, God is this good. And it goes against maybe what I believed in, but I'm going to risk it, and I'm going to sit on it. I love a mystery. But can you feel the security in that? Just the security, the, the freedom, that it wasn't based upon you, it's based upon what Jesus has already done. That's why you can actually really rest when this, I know it's head knowledge right now, but when it comes into the heart, man, you're free. And that's why God doesn't love you because you are good, but God loves you because God is good. And so here's Jesus. He's talking about this, this Sermon on the Mount, and as he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount, he says something very interesting in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not experience the kingdom. Oh, man, when I was young, talk about legalism and talking about, oh, man, just the guilt, I, I can never surpass it. I didn't understand what this verse is talking about. But you see, the Pharisees, the thing that they were focused upon was keeping all the rules. And all the traditions, nothing wrong with traditions, but some of, they were all from the Old Testament. And, 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 and so they were all about the keeping of the rules and the laws and the traditions. As Seth was talking about last week, the appearances. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where your heart is as long as I can say I love you. And then once you turn your back, be careful because in their heart they may hate your guts. But that doesn't matter because as long as you appear to love other people 
And Jesus comes, and he has this message, and it's always aimed at the heart. That which is within the heart, let it flow out of you. As Dallas Willard said one time, he said, let it flow from the heart which results in action. And so what Jesus is doing here, or what Paul is doing, describing what Jesus did, he put all these things at the root level of your soul. Now what has happened in life is all he deposited in grace is at the center of your being, but as you're four years old, Maybe you got so criticized and constantly criticized and harassed by mom or dad or bullied by friends and then another onion ring circles around that and then another one. And by the time you're 12 years old, you slowly begin to think, maybe I'm not what I thought I was. And as you begin, begin, uh, get older and older, these onion rings become your life. You start believing in these onion rings. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. And it's not okay to be me. But if the truth was to be told, this is the truth here that you are in the, you have been deposited with the grace of God lavishly and nothing held back from God. I was talking to a friend. And I, and I give this little story because um, I think, I think what, what we miss sometimes is that, did you know you're sacred? All of this, what Paul is saying, it, it tells you that you are sacred and your neighbor is sacred. Your children are sacred. And so with that, let, let me just share. I, I have a buddy that has been in and out of jail most of his life. A lot of times in prison, years and years, then he'd come out and then he'd get back in. And I would go and visit him, and, and he was saying to me one day, he says, so Gordy, what do you think about, um, as I was looking out of my cell, behind my cell I could see the pasture and there was a little post. And I looked at that post and just staring, wanting to be outside, and, and all of a sudden here comes this eagle. <laughs> coming in flying down and so he asked could God be sending me a message <laughs> and I said of course <laughs> why not God loves you and whatever message you're going to get from that awesome and he says well I wonder what the the message would be you know and I, I, I shared with him because I, I like the Native American culture and it's just one of those things that I somewhat had in my mind, but I said, well, let me tell you that in American, that, that the Native American culture, it, within that culture, the eagle itself reminds you that you are more than your thoughts, that you are more than your challenges, and that you are more than your fears. And they say that if you will allow yourself to soar to new heights, you will realize your full potential. 
Then, I said, in the Native American culture, if you see an eagle, you saw an eagle, right? Yeah, I did. Now, I'm just quoting the culture. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying it's, I'm just quoting. In that culture, if you see an eagle, it reminds you that the, that the divine exists in everything. That all that you are, that all that you hear, that all that you see, that all, all that you smell, all that you taste, all that you feel, has an element of the sacred. Now, what do you think God was sending a message to you? If that's how you want to translate that. You're sacred. I'm sacred. You're sacred. And, and, and I think this is, as, as I go into the Psalms, this, I mean, the Psalms, it's downright crazy stuff. In Psalm 148, I was just reading it this morning, it talked about the shining stars praising, uh, the waters, the clouds. It talks about uh, the snow, <laughs> stormy winds, mountains and hills, trees, animals, cattle, flying birds. I can go on. I'm sacred, you're sacred, the world is sacred, everything inside the world is sacred. And the Psalms declare that. Jesus declares that. But we have so many onion rings around us, that's how we base our life. Through criticism, rejection, and we got hurts and we got wounds, and I get it, and it takes a long time to start shedding some of those onion rings. But you first need to see that in chapter one, if you can just come to see, this is who you are. In 1 through 10. This is what he deposited before you even opened your eyes and breathed. You are a sacred human being. So in verse 7 and 10, as we begin to wrap this up. 7 and 10. In him we have relationship through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Verse 8. That he lavished... On Jackson. Personalize it. Just makes it a little deeper, doesn't it? With all wisdom and understanding. He made us, he, he made known to Joan the mystery of his will. We may not always see it. I don't always see it. Definitely I don't see it completely, or I'd be so yeah. I'd be like Paul, blown away in my mind at the goodness of God. But according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, and then verse 10, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So many times I've heard, don't give too much grace because then you can lose control of them and they're going to go do whatever they want to do and, and basically... And I get that, I get that, but man, if you have the freedom to do whatever you want to do, you're going to find out, man, I better not do that. Now you've got grace. I'm going to decide to change my way. Okay. 
Some, sometimes I've, I've heard the, the message of you got to keep balanced. But in this, in this whole text, it talks about his grace being lavished upon us. There is no balance there. There is no holding back on grace. Folks, he's given every love poured upon you. When he says, I love the world, it is everything he holds, nothing back. There is no balance of God, and I'm glad he didn't balance his grace toward Gordy, or I'd be done. And maybe some of you too. Now, sin kicks back, doesn't it? But it doesn't mean that God is kicking you. You did it to yourself. That's how we learn. But God's not kicking you. He had unlimited grace for you. Unlimited. And why is it? Because this was his desire. That's what we just read. This is the very heartbeat of the Father. And he wants you to see that. He wants to reveal this mystery. And it's so hard to see how much you're loved and accepted and embraced in the circle of love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are in the midst of that. And he says here in verse 10, he says, he says at the very end here, um, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. It reminds me, as Joe comes up here, it reminds me in Afton, in there, it reminds me of that verse in 2 Corinthians 5.14 where it says God was reconciling the world to himself. God was reconciling the world to himself. What are you going to do with that? It says he's reconciling the world to himself. And then he just doesn't stop there. My goodness. He says not counting people's sins against them. Whoa, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. That doesn't make any sense. God cannot be that good. It's okay. Keep living life. Keep living life. The mystery is that all will be gathered in Christ Jesus. This is where you begin to see the scriptures. I'm not saying you've read it wrong or I've read it wrong. I'm just saying let's take a look. Let's just take a look with honesty in our heart. Don't worry about it. Other people will say, ha, huh, he's heretical, he's heresy. But you know what I'm doing? I'm exploring. I'm exploring. Let's don't stop exploring. The religious system will stop you from exploring and you will be stuck and in bondage. Every tribe, every nation, every background gathered in Christ. Maybe I can say it this way. We will return to our source of existence. That's what he just said. Four things I just want to bring out. Four things in the next week. I'm going to come back. I'm going to finish chapter one. It's going to be the same kind of style, but we're going to see two or three more things. Just sit on this for a while. And you have my permission to pass rumors. Gordy's out to lunch. It's okay. 
That's okay. And you're not going to do that. But number one is this. That you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. There's a river flowing in each one of us. There's a river that is flowing within humanity. It's the river of the Spirit of God. I'm not saying they see it. There's a light that has been placed. There's a river of light that has been been placed in the world, but the darkness could not comprehend it. And don't ever think I got it all, because I don't. Second one is this. You're chosen in Christ before creation. That's crazy, isn't it? Maybe we need to go back. If, if you like that imagination, that vision of the sacred garden, which I love, with all the beautiful trees and the flowers and the birds singing and whatnot, the stream coming by, the fish flowing. Okay, let's stop there. I like to use my imagination. But let's just say you're sitting there. Okay, get, get in your imagination into that point. I want you to ask a question. And I want you to ask Jesus this question. And it might be a thing where you don't even believe in God. You don't even believe in Jesus. You don't believe in the, in, in the scriptures and what it's teaching. It's okay. But just ask this question. Jesus, do you live inside of me? Jesus, do you live inside of me? Number three is this. God kindly adopted you as his child. (laughs) That's all I can say, just quote it. This is the fourth one. Then we'll reach two, three more next week. And this is a big one here. You are abundantly free from penalties and punishments. This is what the scripture, this is what we just read. What are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? (laughs) Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you, Lord, that I, I don't know about anybody else, Lord, but I love to learn. I love to explore. I love to question. And maybe some of the things that I even said this morning, they add a hundred more questions, and that's a good thing. Let's learn to ask. Let's learn to ask. And to find that which resonates within our spirit. Because we know within our heart, you are so good. It's probably poor grammar, but you're gooder than what we ever thought. And that's where we want to go, Lord. That's where we want to be. We're sacred. You live within us. You want to reveal these mysteries to us, to set us free from religion, to set us free from external religion. And that, Father, we would enter into the core of our being as the onion rings begin to peel off so that we could really see who we are. Because some of us, Lord, are like Stephanie who grew up and we've just been harassed with abusive verbalization of negativity and 
None of that is true because we just read. <laughs> You're a love child of God. Every one of you. So thank you for this worship this morning, Lord. Let us close with a, a heart of praise, of worship. And uh, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.